Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on ClingPod, a podcast where Klingistine students interview one another. I'm your host, Hatim Al-Tayyib, and today I am delighted to be speaking with Ruthie Williams, who is a teacher leader at the University of Chicago Laboratory Schools in Chicago, Illinois. Ruthie, thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you, Hatim. It's great to be here. So uh, let's get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to school leadership. Sure, sure. Um, I think for me, it comes from the fact that I have always loved working with people and with groups of people, especially kids. Um, I grew up in northern Minnesota near the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, a very remote part of Minnesota. Mm. And starting from a very young age, I worked at my family's business, which was a wilderness canoe outfitter. It's mm. um, My grandparents started it, my dad ran it, and my sister runs it now. And a big part of my job there was in helping uh, groups, often high school age groups, um, learn how to do wilderness skills so that they could have a successful um, canoe trip. Just absolutely loved it. I was often young and the, then the groups, you know, the people that I was um, working with, but just mm-hmm. helping people figure out what their goals are, what they wanted to do, empowering them to achieve those goals, and then sending mm-hmm. them off on these trips without me. Um, people mm. often ask me like, oh, did you guide? Did you go along and help them catch fish mm. and fillet the fish and set up the tent? <laughs> no, I I helped them get oriented and empowered and answered their questions. And then I sent people mm. off on their own to do it themselves. Mm. So I think about that a lot as I think about my teaching, because I've always thought that the person who is doing most of the work is the person who is learning the most. And it shouldn't be the teacher, right? Should be mm. the kids. Um, so I've always, I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher. I kind of resisted it when people would suggest it. Um, I come from a long line of educators and mm-hmm. I always had a passion for reading, for writing and um, literature and stories. So when I got to college, I went to the University of Chicago and I had decided to study English literature. Um, I absolutely loved my classes. My favorite part about college was honestly, I became um, an RA, a resident assistant in my college dorm. Mm -hmm. And I was in charge of facilitating community building among the group. And I absolutely loved it. I became like the super RA. I had sweatshirts (laughs) made. We would go out and make s'mores by the lake. I knew everybody's name. We celebrated birthdays. And I just absolutely loved that aspect of it Mm. um at that time i still was somehow in denial that i was meant to be an educator Mm. Uh, but after i graduated i did try substitute teaching to see if i liked it and um you know somewhat to my chagrin i did i loved it and as a substitute i was able to try out teaching every different age group and surprise surprise i love teaching middle school people sometimes kind of make a face when I tell them that I teach middle school because for many of us, middle school was a very awkward and confusing Mm -hmm. and difficult time. And it's a time Mm -hmm. that a lot of adults would prefer to kind of forget and and Mm -hmm. push into the past. Um, But for me, I just see it as such a time of tremendous growth and change when young people get to try things, make decisions, make mistakes Mm. and learn from it all Mm. so 
one of the things I've been most passionate about at my current school is in um, building up and leading our middle school advisory program. Mm. So students are in a, have a small group. It's really their home base within the school. Mm-hmm. And although we do some advisory curriculum, the main focus is really on getting to know each other, feeling known and seen at school, feeling like you belong and you mm. have a place where the people expect you to be there and they're looking out for you. Mm. And just a place to feel supported and safe and try things and be silly. That's great. I, I really liked um, hearing both about the beginning and, and, and the journey of resisting education for a while and, and ultimately how much joy you're finding in it now, and especially with an age group that many find difficult um, to manage and to connect with. But uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more. Um, you know, I really liked what you said, that uh, the person who's doing the most work is the one who's who's learning the most. Is that something that's come into your practice or or something that you that you remember as a teacher? Yeah, it's something I've actually been thinking about a lot as we've made this transition into remote learning. Mm. It's been so labor intensive and, mm-hmm. and difficult and heart wrenching in many ways for, for many of the teachers that I know. Mm. And I think that's a lot of reasons. Um, and one of the reasons is that, you know, we we gain satisfaction and joy from the human interactions. Mm-hmm at school and when mm-hmm. we're just putting our content online mm-hmm. we're not getting anything back and that can feel very draining um but i also have just seen teachers working 12 hours a day seven days a week mm-hmm. making videos and putting their um lessons online responding to mm-hmm. students and just really you know an unsustainable level of, mm-hmm. of effort mm-hmm. and, and getting burned out and that has reminded me again and again that, you know, whoever's doing the work is doing the learning. Mm. So I think back on my time at the canoe outfitter and mm. I just try to think of like, how can I set my students up <laughs> yeah. so that they can go on this journey and I'm right. here to support them. And if there's an emergency, I'm here to help, mm. but they're leading their own journey. They're the ones doing the learning. Mm-hmm. And I was really impressed with my students. I, I would often put up, I was very mindful that, Students have different situations at home. They have different Mm. resources at home. And so I would always give like maybe seven options in a given week for different things Mm. they could do. And Mm. I would say, pick one or two or do them all. And then reflect back to me what you learned. And Mm. I'll write back to you. So that way we could still have that element of conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was, did not expect as many students as did all seven of the prompts each week. Wow they were eager to connect and they were eager to try things and, and do new things. So I, I really was impressed with how well the students responded. Mm. And although I sometimes had to draw boundaries with my, um, with the leaders at my school who in response to parent feedback were pushing teachers to do more, 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 more. Mm. Um, I truly believe in my heart that the kids should be, doing the bulk of the effort Mm. and um that's how they'll grow the most out of this i i really like your wilderness metaphor and i think it's so powerful and um i really appreciate your sharing the way that it's um come alive for you in this last little period 
Um, what are what are some ideas, Ruthie, that you return to over and over again with your students? What's something that you want them to hold on to from the time they spend with you? So my first goal with my students is always to have them understand that I care about them, mm. that I see them, that I know them. I learn their mm. names. Mm-hmm. I make an effort to pronounce their names correctly. Mm. I like to know a little bit about their family, their home life, what neighborhood they live in, whether they were born in Chicago or they've moved here, mm. um, whether they're new to the school or they've been there since they were three years old, and just kind of understand the whole child. Mm-hmm. And part of how I do that is actually by letting them get to know me a little bit. Mm. And that's something I had, I've had to kind of do deliberately. Um, but I have found if I share in an open and, and vulnerable way with my students, they share with me reciprocally. And mm. I really enjoy that. Mm. Um, thinking back on my, my English degree, uh, people sometimes ask me about that. Like, how does that factor in? And I just really think, you know, all learning happens in relationship and in community. Mm. And the way that we build relationships and build communities is by telling our stories, listening Mm. to one another Mm. and, you know, connecting that way. Mm -hmm. So one thing I think of is every spring in May, we bring our seventh graders into the woods for a camping trip. Mm-hmm. And the kids often dread it. They're, they've heard that there's bugs. <laughs> they've heard it's muddy. You can't shower. You know, mm-hmm. the, the older kids love to um, tease the seventh graders and say, you know, oh, just wait. You're going to be cold. You're going to be wet. Mm-hmm. You're going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is often true. Um, but one thing that I've discovered as a leader is that I always ask the um, facilitators at the camp to give my group twice as much hot chocolate. And they're happy Mm. to do it. There's some groups that don't use the hot chocolate. Mm -hmm. And then every evening, it's often cold. We always build a fire and we'll make a whole giant pitcher of hot chocolate (laughs) and pass it around. Mm. And the kids love it. You know, of course, they love sugar. Mm -hmm. And it gives us an opportunity as a group to very naturally, in a very kind of primal way around a fire, Mm. start to have this ritual of pouring the hot chocolate for one another and sipping it, talking Mm. about our day, and Mm. then going a little deeper and and sharing our life stories too. So Mm. it's something, you know, that happens naturally, but it's also something that I design deliberately for us Mm. and that I do each year. And I think a lot of things like that, maybe the students don't necessarily see how planful their teachers are being Mm. with designing these opportunities for connection. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something that over the course of my career, I have become more and more strategic about. It's fun. I mean, I can see a clear uh, thread there between the, you know, the first story and the second story and just the fire and being outside and being in nature and um, having a chance, like, you know, maybe removing some of the, some of the barriers between between people and themselves and, and having a good good connection or, or an honest conversation. Um, I really like the image of, of young people sitting around the fire, passing around the picture and slowly becoming more and more themselves and more comfortable with each other. Um, yeah. What about... I think that um, says it go really ahead. well. And one of my other um, philosophies too is that we are preparing, prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child. So hmm. we've all heard about like helicopter parents 
Now yeah. people are talking about lawnmower parents and snowplow yeah. parents who push adverse experiences out of the way of the path of their child. I don't think yeah. that's the right tactic. I think it's important to build strong human beings or facilitate young people in building themselves into strong human mm. beings who can handle different situations. So mm. in the spirit of that, I, I always try to talk to my students about, um, you know, what, what can we do for others? Mm. Sort of the concept of generosity when I've done things mm -hmm. generously for mm -hmm. others, it comes back to me mm. um, double. Mm -hmm. And then I also um, often will talk to my students about the concept of the classroom as a brave space. Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What do you What do you mean by brave space? Sure. So I think sometimes, as teachers or adults, we feel a little bit nervous about broaching difficult subjects. So in advisory, for example, um, a big part of it is social and emotional learning. So building up those social connections, having fun together, and also just having everyone sit in a circle and talk about how they're feeling and what's really going on. And I sometimes hear from colleagues of mine that they're nervous about that. Mm. You know, I'm not a trained counselor. What if a kid says something I'm not prepared for, mm. um, like that they don't feel safe at home or that mm -hmm. they're thinking about hurting themselves? I don't know how to handle that. And what I always respond is that, you know, you are not creating these situations. If that's going on for a, a student in your room, by asking them about it, you didn't cause it. You're just mm. bringing out into the open what's already there. Mm. And you are not at all expected to solve these issues. You, mm -hmm. you know, we work as a team at my school. We have counselors. We have wonderful um, mm. dean of students and principal who are there to help us handle these more challenging, tricky situations. Mm -hmm. um, I just think being worried that a big, scary emotion is going to come out is mm. not a good reason to avoid talking about feelings. Mm. Um, one thing that I often will say, because pe people will, advisors will say, you know, when we talk feelings, sometimes um, the kids cry, a kid might cry. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. You know, I'm not, I don't want to make them cry. And yeah. I always say, be the thermostat, not the weather. So the teacher can choose the energy and tone that they bring into the classroom. Mm. They can model uh, being calm during a difficult conversation. Mm. And if someone does start to cry or laugh or get angry, you can still maintain that tone. You do not have to follow them down that path, mm. um, which I just think is really useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, all this talk about social emotional learning, you might wonder my philosophy about academics, but I really believe that feeling safe and comfortable, mm. feeling known and seen mm. is a prerequisite for intellectual mm -hmm. learning. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I uh, was thinking about actually as I prepared for this podcast was on my first day of college, mm. I mean, I was, I'm from a small town in northern Minnesota. I landed in the mm. big city of Chicago. Mm. I didn't know anyone. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I did not go to a highly preparatory high school like many mm -hmm. of my um, classmates did. And the very first thing they had us go to was a large assembly called the Aims of Education Address. Mm. And in that address, we all crammed into this little chapel. And I sat, you know, alone, squeezed in with people. I didn't know anyone. <laughs> 
And this professor stood up and talked for an hour Mm. about the aims of education. Mm. And I remember just sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I don't belong here. And afterwards, we had a small group discussion in my dorm where, again, they brought in another professor who led um, a discussion. Mm. And my classmates were just coming out with these brilliant observations and arguments and quoting uh, philosophers I had never heard of. And I, mm. when I went back and read that speech, because they're all posted online, I was curious and I looked it up. I don't remember a single word. Mm. And even though I'm, I'm very interested in the aims of education, because that psychological safety, mm. that sense of like belonging had not been established, mm. my brain was not primed to take in any learning. And I just wish that, you know, if we could go back and do it over again, I wish that there had been an opportunity to build community mm. before we dove into the aims of education. I think I would have mm. taken much more from it. That's a that's a really powerful recollection, and I and I appreciate your sharing it. And I'm glad that preparing for this podcast sent you down a rabbit hole that reminded you of that experience. Um, I appreciate hearing it. Can is there anything else that you'd like to share with me? Yeah, I think you know, and just thinking about radical candor and and just say saying things, being comfortable in a brave mm. space. Mm. Um, another example that I think of often at my school. Um, about when I think of about empowering students and also just being frank mm. um, there was a group of students a couple of years ago who um, made an appeal to the school that the school should be providing um, menstrual products like pads mm-hmm. and tampons for mm-hmm. free in the bathrooms at the school mm-hmm. their argument was look soap and toilet paper and hand towels are provided mm. these you know pads and tampons are something that people need Mm-hmm. it should just be there it shouldn't you know kids don't shouldn't mm. have to be uh running to their lockers they shouldn't have mm. to maybe not be able to afford a product mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so in i thought this was a fantastic idea mm. and the kids brought it forward and nothing really came from it so mm. i thought you know this isn't my plan mm-hmm. but i would love to do whatever i can behind the scenes to mm-hmm. sort of nudge this to the mm. finish line mm. so i you know was able to kind of have some conversations on the side people were supportive but they were worried about money we figured out how to get it funded and mm. even though that group of students has now moved on to high school to this day we still have free pads and tampons in all of mm. the bathrooms mm. and you know teaching middle school if you say pads and tampons in front of a class of middle schoolers you get a little bit of a look right but then if you say it three more times they're over right. Mm. You know, it's mm. not just just naming things and being really open and clear, um, I think, is something that's really underrated and really important. Our middle school students are not young children. Mm. I don't think they need to be shielded from the reality of the world. Mm. And I think, you know, we can approach them as equals in many ways when it comes to discussing hard topics. Um, another hard topic that I go out of my way to talk about with people a lot that can bring up some feelings or or be awkward is um, I talk a lot about racism Mm. uh, with my colleagues and with my students with my family members and my friends and again you kind of get a look uh, from people when you first start talking about it Mm. Um, 
and I find you just have to keep talking about it mm. and it's, it's go- might be awkward and it might be upsetting and um, you know a lot of people in our society don't have the option to choose mm. not to think about or talk about racism mm. and with everything that we've been seeing in the news about this racial reckoning that's happening post um, George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis mm. I think a lot of white people are just realizing now that racism is not something they can choose to think about or not think about, mm-hmm. talk about or not talk about. Mm-hmm. We have to, especially educators who work with mm-hmm. young people, we have to be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, things like that where, you know, oh, you know, this can be a little hard to talk about or this might be a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of my leadership style is to just be awkward. You know, mm. I teach I mm. teach middle schoolers. I know awkward. <laughs> you know, just dive into it and use humor too. You know, like mm. I like to joke around. I like to laugh and be silly and make jokes, and I think that's a big part of building relationships and having mm. fun together. So, I have one one last saying that yeah. I have is, is that um, sunshine is the best antiseptic. Mm. So don't keep things in the dark. You know, don't sweep things under the rug. Shine a light on on what's really going on and it'll be better for it. Well, um, Ruthie, you are truly a shining light in this world. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I, I, I particularly enjoyed right at the end, the ways in which you, um, yeah, you, you can, you can translate your lessons from the middle school classroom, particularly about confronting you know, deep-seated truths that need to be confronted, frankly, without fear of what's awkward. Uh, that's that's a lesson that um, I think society at large is is finally having to to wrestle with. Yeah, so I think thanks. that's absolutely right. Thank you so much. And uh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and and I look forward to seeing you in class. All right, talk to you later. Bye bye.